On the way here. Thank you. There we go. Well, it's good to see everybody. It's good to come to a familiar place. It's much. Um, it's it's very easy to come here and to be with you and to speak to you and to share with you. Um, it kind of feels like a maybe my second, third, fourth home, something like that. But it feels, you know, it, 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 very comfortable, and uh, I look forward. And uh, I know it's been quite a while. I was we were looking back um, through our, you know, everybody. It's that time of year. Everybody's doing their taxes, and uh, so we've been looking back through our calendar over the last year and and seeing when where where we were and what's been going on and working through all that and. Notice it's been a while since uh, since I was here, and so um, as I have thought about and prayed um, where we would go this morning, I was led um, to uh, to the book of Matthew, um, one of what's considered the Beatitudes uh, over in uh, Matthew five. Um, and uh, it's verse six. If you want to hold that, I'll I'll get there, and I'll I'll be um, kind of speaking to that and 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 pulling in some other scripture as well. But um, I want to begin by I think most of us here, and I'm not trying to pass judgment or anything, but I think most of us here. Uh, if you were not alive in the 60s, raise your hand. <laughs> so, but um, I want to share a few lyrics from a song. Some of you may remember it. You probably never thought you would hear it in church. Um, but it's a song from one of uh, what I, I think... Um, uh, is a is a great was a was an interesting song. It was a song for the times. Uh, it was a song about uh, about a lot of things. But but the lyrics were written by uh, two fellas. Uh, one of them, Michael Philip Jager, and the other one, Keith Richards. So um, it says this. It says, "I can't uh, now. I won't b- vouch for the grammar." Okay. I'm not an English major um, or any of that, but I just want to share this. It says, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? (laughs) Imagine all the money they made on that. Then it says... When I'm driving in my car and that man comes on the radio, he's telling me more and more about some useless information. Supposed to fire my imagination. I can't get no. Oh no, no, no. Wow, that's tough. (laughs) Hey, 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 that's what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, 
I can't get no. Wow. That still amazes me. The search for satisfaction or fulfillment is as old as mankind. It's as age-old cry of the human heart. It was nothing new to Jesus when Jesus was here. It had been around long before that. As a matter of fact, when he spoke in the, to the crowds on the sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he began to list off uh, what we refer to as the Beatitudes. And in verse 6 he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That's from the NASB version. You see, the French theologian and philosopher and mathematician, Basil Pascal, said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, which cannot be filled with any created thing, but only with God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. And since nature abhors a vacuum... If we do not fill that vacuum with God, we will fill it with something else. Augustine, in the 4th century A.D., explained both the problem and the solution to this. He said, O God, You have made us for Yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in You. Finding satisfaction in life is really a matter of settling the question of priorities. I'm not trying to simplify it, but I think it is simple. Our lives are driven by priorities. What is most important to you? What is most important to me? And those are the things that I am going to go after, that we're going to go after. It's part of our DNA. It's how we are made. And those priorities are directed by our inner desires for self-fulfillment. For the satisfaction of self. If God is not first in our lives and we will be continuously searching for satisfaction in other ways. And I think somehow, he didn't really realize it, but when... Mick Jagger and Keith Richard wrote that song. They themselves were trying to figure out, where do we find satisfaction? I can't get it. Some guy's trying to tell me where it is. And the song goes on and talks about things that we don't need to talk about here. But, but, he, but he says they can, everybody's trying to tell him where to find it. If God is not first in our lives, then we will be continuously searching for satisfaction in other ways. And God will never be first in our lives until we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ once and for all. Every day you are controlled, we are controlled by something. We may be controlled by our own ego or by the expectations of other people. I think we've all been there. 
You may be controlled by fear or guilt or resentment or bitterness. You may be controlled by a substance or a habit. But you are controlled by something every day. When you choose Jesus Christ to be in control over your life, when you're mastered by the Master, you can master everything else. I know that's kind of a play on words. John 14, Jesus is speaking to His disciples. Beginning in, chapter, in verse 25, He says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Jesus has promised us that He would never leave us nor forsake us. In His peace He would give us, but not as the world gives. And to not let our hearts be troubled. If God is not number one in your life, something else is. And it will control you to a negative degree. When Christ is in your life, He always moves you in the right direction. And unless we hunger and thirst, as the Scripture says, after God or God's righteousness, we shall never know the fullness of all that He has promised us. I want to share three things that we pull, I want to pull out of the Scripture here this morning, uh, hopefully briefly. Hopefully we're out of here by lunchtime, but we'll see what happens. Number one, to hunger and thirst. This fourth beatitude is a call to pursue conformity to God's will, stated in the most extreme terms. The intensity of the expression is difficult for us to feel. Because if we're thirsty, all we do is go to the refrigerator or turn on a tap and get a drink of water. If we're hungry, we just open the refrigerator and we get something to eat. However, to the ancient Palestinian, the expression was terribly alive. Because in that time, in those days, you were never very far away from the possibility of dehydration or starvation. It's not a comfortable picture. When Jesus tells us to hunger and thirst. When man is hungry, the only thing that will satisfy him is food. He has no interest in anything else. You can show him diamonds and jewels, houses and land. But if he's starving, his only desire is food. He realizes that all those other things that people value so highly are meaningless in comparison to satisfying his hunger. I hope you're getting a picture of what Jesus means when he says, hunger and thirst for God. It means the most extreme hunger. The most, most of us really, as I said, can't relate to that. But, but it's, it's, it's with all you have. If you're hungry, you're going to do everything you can to get something to eat. If you're thirsty, you're going to do everything you can to fulfill that thirst. And it was with that same kind of intensity that Jesus was calling them and he's calling us to pursue God. Max Lucado in his book, Come Thirsty, says, Our Maker wired us with a thirst. 
He says a low fluid indicator. Let your fluid run low and watch the signals flare. Dry mouth, thick tongue, achy head, weak knees. Deprive your body of fluid and it will tell you. Deprive your soul of spiritual water and your soul will tell you. Dehydrated hearts send desperate messages. Snarling tempers, waves of worry, growling mastodons of guilt and fear. You think God wants us to live this way? Hopeless, sleeplessness, loneliness, resentment, irritability and insecurity. These are the warning signs, the symptoms of a dry, deep within. Jesus is far from recommending a genteel desire for spiritual nourishment, but rather a starvation for righteousness. He suggests a desperate hunger for righteousness, for rightness with our Maker. That's the idea behind hunger and thirsting for God and His righteousness. Number two, it tells us we're to pursue righteousness. We're going to put some action to it. Righteousness is defined as a behavior that is morally justifiable or morally right. Such behavior is characterized by accepted standards of morality, justice, virtue, uprightness. The Bible standard of human righteousness is God's own perfection in every attribute, every attitude, every behavior, and every word. Thus God's laws, as given in the Bible, describe both His character and constitute the measuring stick by which we measure human righteousness. You see, the righteousness Jesus speaks of here refers to rightness character before God and rightness of actions before men. Did you catch that? Rightness character before God and rightness actions before men. The bad news is that true and perfect righteousness is not possible for us to attain on our own. That standard is just simply too high. The good news is that true righteousness is possible for mankind <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the good news is that true righteousness is possible for mankind, but only through the cleansing, sin, cleansing of sin by Jesus Christ and the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. This means that we are made righteous in the sight of God. That is, that we are accepted as righteous and treated as righteous by God on account of what Jesus has done for us. So he's not placing some unreachable, unreachable, there's my grammar, sorry, some unreachable standard in front of us. Something that cannot be attained, something that cannot be reached. It's something that can be done through the blood of Christ. Because when God looks at you and He looks at me, if we are born-again believers, then He sees us 
through the lens of Jesus Christ and His perfection. Jesus was made sin so that we could be made righteous. We have no ability to achieve that righteousness in and of ourselves. To pursue righteousness is to pursue a relationship with Jesus and allow Him to become our righteousness. This in turn makes us right in God's eyes. So we're to hunger, as the Beatitude says there, the fourth Beatitude. We are to hunger and thirst. The idea of extreme. We're to pursue righteousness, and that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we become righteous because of what Jesus has done and is doing. And third, to that, we will find satisfaction. Cortadizo. I'm not very I'm not a Greek scholar, but is the word that is used here and it is used of the feeding of animals until they want nothing more. They are allowed to eat until they are completely satisfied. That's the type of satisfaction that we're talking about. Even though it doesn't really match up because you can eat until you're full and satisfied, but you're going to get hungry again. So the satisfaction that Jesus is talking about here is beyond mere hunger. Physical hunger and physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual satisfaction. You see, the picture is of animals that have stayed at the feed trough until they wanted nothing else to eat. The Lord plants within our soul a deep longing which He and He alone can satisfy. And we talk to that in in the beginning. Continued satisfaction, unlike eating until you're full, then, in a matter of time, becoming hungry again, as I've already said. Our part is to seek, His part is to satisfy. He will never, we will never discover anything in this world more satisfying than our Lord. We'll try. As Mick Jagger said, the guy on the radio keeps telling him how to find satisfaction. And it's from the things of this world. He will never dis- we will never discover anything in this world more satisfying than our Lord. Who will meet all our needs? You see, the person who genuinely hungers and thirsts for God's righteousness finds it so satisfying that he wants nothing else. It is the desire for God which is the most fundamental appetite of all. And it is an appetite we can never eliminate. We may seek to disown it, but it will not go away. If we deny that it is there, we shall in fact only divert it to some other object or a range of objects. And it will mean that we invest some creature or creatures with the full burden of our need for God. A burden which no creature can carry. 
In this beatitude, I think, and I paraphrase, Jesus is saying, hunger and thirst for me. Make me your priority. Then you will find the satisfaction that you've been looking for. Hunger and thirst. Pursue righteousness. Find satisfaction. Since I was here last, most of you know this, probably. If you don't, I'm sorry. I had a stroke about 14, 16 months ago. 16 months and 11 days ago, I had a stroke. We had just come back from um, 10 days in Hawaii celebrating our anniversary. It was a, a, a great moment, something I had promised my wife for a lot of years. Figured I'd better hurry up and do it before she gets somebody else to. And so we had just spent 10 days in Hawaii. And we had come home. And the next day, Renee, our baby, who is now a freshman at Southern Nazarene University, so she's not really, she wouldn't like me calling her a baby. But anyway, our baby was still in high school and was at marching band uh, state finals or state marching band contest. Whoops, there goes my, there goes my, uh, my, uh, Whatever, I was about to stumble there. Um, was in a uh, marching band uh, down at uh, Colorado Springs. So we left on Friday morning and drove down to Colorado Springs. Got down there to, to the Air Force Academy and we, we sat, we uh, walked from clear out in the parking lot all the way to the stadium. Sat clear up high in the stadium for a couple, three, four hours at least. All the marchers were done. They took a break. We had planned to spend the night in Colorado Springs and watch again the next day. And so we began to walk out across the parking lot from uh, the Air Force Academy Stadium. We'd gone down and seen the kids and took pictures. Um, it, was a, it was a great day. It was fun. And as we, I walked across the parking lot, I suddenly felt like I had stepped off a curb. And got really, really dizzy. I was like, whoa, what's going on? This isn't right. And so I told Karen, I said, man, I'm dizzy. And so we walked on across and got to our car. And we were going to try to Google someplace to eat lunch and dinner, basically. It was kind of in between to, before we went to our hotel. So I sat in the car and I messed with my phone a little bit. And I said... I don't feel right. I said, I said, I feel like I'm going to pass out. I, I, and she goes, just, well, lay the seat back. So we laid the seat back, and I laid the seat back, and it helped a little, but didn't help a lot. And I said, I don't, I don't feel right. I, I just feel like I'm going to pass out. I'd had a couple of dizzy spells before this, and I just assumed it was the travel or whatever. And so we... Um, Sat there for a couple of minutes, and she said, well, maybe if you tried to lay down across the back seat, do you want me to call 911? And at that point, I did what all men do, and I said, no. I can handle it on my own. I can make it. I can fight through this. It'll go away, and then everything will be fine. And then I 
thought I would try to sit up in my seat and try to go to the back seat of the car. By this time, she does what all good wives do, and she's already on the phone to 911, even when I told her no. So you see how this works. <laughs> so so we're, I'm, I try to sit up, and at that point I get deathly sick. I mean really sick. And I just, I can't move. Any slight turn of my head or any move, I'm sitting in my seat and I'm frozen and I can't, I can't. If I move, I just, oh, I just, I'm not going to go into details because it's almost dinner time, lunch time. And anyway, so I get really sick. Well, then I can hear her on the phone and she's going, she's going, well, we're in the middle of a parking lot. Um, what, well, we're at the um, Air Force Academy. And we're out in the middle of the parking lot. They keep asking her for directions and streets and addresses. And we're like, well, we're in the middle of a parking lot. I don't know what the address is. And so she finally sees them go by and she flags them down. And they come and they get me, long story short, they get me in the, the, the ambulance. If you've never rode in an ambulance, don't. <laughs> I felt worse when I got to the emergency room than I did before I got in. But I think that was other things, probably. So, anyway, they bounced me around. I got there. They at first thought maybe I had some kind of an inner ear deal going on or some kind of inner ear infection. And so they tried all kinds of things, and it just didn't help. And so finally one of the doctors said, let's do an MRI. So they got me to wherever they do the MRIs and got me back to my room. And at that point they were going to transfer me to another hospital. So I was out north off of Briargate, and they were going to take me downtown to Memorial Hospital downtown in Colorado Springs. And they were getting ready for all that, and the doctor comes in, and he goes, how are you feeling? I said, well, not any better. He says, what you always want to hear, I got bad news. And I'm like, oh boy, what does this mean? He goes, you've had a stroke. Well, I don't, I don't know a lot about Strokes. I didn't know a lot about how they affected you. I do remember as a very young boy, uh, 10, 12, my grandmother's sister, who would be my great aunt, had had a stroke. And it was very debilitating for her. So all I could do was sit there and think, okay, now where am I headed? What's going to happen? Well, fortunately, by the grace of God, um, they were able to transfer me um, you can imagine I had a splitting headache. I, you know, I, I felt terrible. I was, you know, they were trying. They'd come in. You couldn't rest. About every two hours, they'd come in. They'd flash these pictures in front of you. What do you see? Then they'd start poking you on, all over your body to see if you could feel. And so they were just doing the standards protocol that they would for a person who had a stroke, waiting for, um, waiting for the after effects of, to see what would happen. And so. Finally, on, the net, on that Sunday morning, they said, Mr. Coleman, we'd like to try to get you out of bed. So they come with a walker. Um, not a walker mower, but a walker. <laughs> and, and so they come, come with a walker, and uh, they help me square up and get out of bed. We'd like to see you try to get to the bathroom. And I said, okay. So I get in a walker. And the thing that struck me the most was how unbelievably, unbelievably, what's the word I'm looking for? Unbelievably 
great God has created us. Our brains, what they do. When you don't have a function, then you go, wow. So I, I had to tell myself, move your foot. Lift your next foot and move your foot. And I had to reteach myself what I had to do to walk, let alone balance. So I made it to the restroom and I made it back. And she said, would you like to go for a walk in the hall? I said, sure. So we head towards the hall. They open the door and all these lights come shining in. I'm saying, whoa, that's it. I'm done. I got to go. It's too much overload, too much sensory overload. I can't take it. And so I had to go back to the room. Finally, again, I said long story short already, didn't I? <laughs> okay. So I'm in the hospital four or five days. They send me up north here to Loveland, uh, MCR, and I'm in rehab for about eight, nine days, and they turn me loose. They want me to come back to do um, um, therapy, physical therapy. Uh, but after two sessions, she said, don't bother coming back because we can't do any more for you than you've already done. Just keep doing what you're doing. So I'm here 16 months later. The only real after effects that I have from the stroke is what I about did here a little bit ago. Once in a while, I'll, I'll, not, I'll catch myself and I'll, I'll lose my balance a little bit. A little bit of fatigue, but for the most part, I never had any paralysis. I never, my wife always likes to say this, he never lost his voice, never stopped talking. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I feel really, really good. And I'm very thankful. And I'm very pleased that God, in his infinite wisdom and grace, saw to allow me to continue. I thought, wow, my 58th birthday. What did you get for your 58th birthday? A stroke. Not everybody could say that, you know. But it was. And now I want to get to the point that I wanted to get to. This has been an interesting journey these last 16 months. Get past the physical. But now I want to talk about the mental and the spiritual. Because I'm going to tell you, I struggled. I struggled with questions like, why? Why me? I also struggled with self-pity. Woe is me. I wanted everybody and I wanted everybody to feel sorry for me. Whoa, poor Bruce, look at him. Poor Bruce. And I, I was, I'm going to say it right now, I praise God that he gave me the wipe that he did. Because I didn't need that and she, she didn't give it to me and I don't mean that in a bad way. She knows me. She knows me way better than anybody else. But I found myself wallowing in this self-pity. And then... Things began to, well, began to struggle. I began to blame, blame people for things that were happening in my life, for struggles that we were facing, not necessarily related to that, but I think it has to do with that. And really what it has to do is I began to pull away from God. And I began to somehow, in the back of my mind, blame him for what happened to me. I didn't do what I was asking and saying today for you to do. I wasn't pursuing God and His righteousness. I wasn't seeking Him as I should. Oh, I still believed in Him. I still believed that He had saved me. But I had, my faith had 
begun and to kind of wane. We were going through some struggles in our church plant. And it was easy for me to blame others for things that were happening. It was easy for me to say, well, if they hadn't done this, or why did they do that, or how come they did that? And I played the blame game. As I prepared for this message, and, and as I prayed and I, and I kept rolling it over in my head, God kept saying, doesn't that sound familiar? Haven't you been feeling sorry for yourself long enough? Haven't you been wallowing in self-pity for long enough? Aren't you tired of blaming other people for what happened? Aren't you tired of trying to find satisfaction in those things? I think somehow in my mind I was thinking that if I could cast that blame or wallow in that self-pity, that would bring me satisfaction. It didn't. It only made things worse. It made things hard between Karen and I. It made things hard between our church people and I. It made things hard between a lot of people and I. And so, as I stand up here this morning and talk to you and share that story with you and and share my journey with you, really, I'm preaching to myself. Okay? I'm preaching to myself this morning. And I want to leave you with some thoughts and then we'll, we'll close. If you want righteousness, you can have it. Just look for it. Just seek it. Most of us are about as close to God now as we want to be. We're as close to God now as we want to be. We have about as much joy as we want. About as much peace as we want. For the most part, we are where we are right now because that's where we choose to be. If you're hungry for something better, from God, you can have it. If you want it, you can have a closer walk with Him. If you want it, you can have a better marriage. If you want it, you can do God's will. If you want it, you can grow spiritually. If you want to, you can become the man of God or the woman of God that you long for. If you want to, you can change deeply ingrained habits. It's easy for me to get in the old blame game and pity party. It's easy for me. I don't know about you. If you want to, you can break destructive patterns of behavior. When Jesus says you will be filled, he means you will be filled with Jesus himself. If you're hungry, you can eat freely of the bread of life. If you're thirsty, you can drink freely of the living water. If you're guilty, you can be forgiven 
If you're far from God, you can come home again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth, the living word and truth. Thank you for this opportunity to be together, and I thank you for the lessons that you've taught me through this time of study and prayer. And I hope, Father, and I believe this is true, that there are some here today who have struggled with maybe the same thing, some bitterness, some anger, some resentment, some self-pity. That comes from focusing on self, focusing on our own misguided sense of needs. And I just pray, Father, that you would speak to hearts. That you would help us and help them to see that to pursue you and to hunger and thirst after you as if there is nothing else in this world that matters. Then and only then will we find satisfaction. Thank you for each and every person that's here. Pray you'll bless them. Bless them in their week to come. Bless their homes, their families. And most of all, help us to hunger and thirst for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.